Good morning. And how are you all this morning? Good. It's good to see you today. Grab your Bibles, turn to the book of John. We are in our series, Simply That You May Believe. We're studying through the Gospel of John. Before we get to our teaching this morning, my perception of Jesus, then I want to remind you that in the notes at the top is a QR code that you can scan with your phone or go on our website. We have this thing called Dive Deeper, and we want you to go there during the week. It is a continuation, a recap of our teaching on Sunday morning. Also, some scriptures to uh, give you to read throughout the week in discussion with maybe your family or friends. And also, there are some uh, let's chat kind of questions at the end to kind of get you thinking about what we've talked about this week. Because what we do, we don't want the teaching on Sunday mornings to end within itself. You know, we want that to carry on through the week within your life. And so we encourage you to go to dive in on our website or on the QR code this week sometime and and begin to simply, well, exactly what it says to dive in deeper. So today, John chapter 2, we start with verse 1 in just a moment. But the question is this, how do you see Jesus? And you say, Mark, what kind of question is that? Well, maybe here it's phrased a little better than what is your opinion of Jesus? And you say, wait a minute, he is the son of God. So it's kind of dangerous to have an opinion about the son of God, isn't it? If you want to live a long time, then maybe I should rethink that a lot. But last week when we talked from chapter one, we find where Jesus is gathering up his disciples and Philip goes and gets Nathaniel. And Philip says to Nathaniel this, he says, we have found the one that Moses and the law and the prophets wrote about, Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. And what is Nathaniel's response? He says this, can anything good come from Nazareth? Well, we think, well, that's some kind of ethnic slur against Jesus himself and where he is from as a a Nazarite, but it's not at all. But it's a statement of doubt as to as they have found the Messiah. And how do you know that you can have an opinion about Christ or you can be honest about how you feel about him? It's this, that Nathaniel lives to see the resurrected Christ after the resurrection. He actually lives to see that. So yes, we can have this thought, we can have this perception, we can have this wondering at times in our life about who Jesus is. So what is our perception of him? So what we have done, first of all, just to kind of bring us up to speed where we are in the Gospel of John, chapter 1 is what we call a prologue of the Gospel. And, and, And what it is, it's simply this of us, an introduction of the relationship of the Father and the Son. It's an establishment of the deity of Christ, and that is that Christ through Christ, that God is simply giving full disclosure of his heart and his life and his intentions toward you and I as his creation. It's minus the Advent fanfare and all of that. It doesn't have anything about the birth. It goes directly to John the Baptist where he proclaims Jesus as being the Son of God. He calls him there also the Lamb of God. It's a revealing of the glory of God. And that's where we find ourselves for the next few chapters, basically up until chapter 5. And so we find Christ as he, he seeks out his disciples and he asks them a question. Last week he asked them a question, what are you seeking? It's a very deep question. And, and as deep and spiritual as his disciples were, their response to him was, where are you staying? You know, sometimes that we and Jesus are not on the same page and they definitely were. He said, what are you seeking? It's a, it's a statement about their own heart and their own spiritual life. And they think, well, he's simply wanting to know if we, you know, what do we really want to know about him? And they're wanting to know where you're living right now is what they're asking him. And Jesus says, come and see. And when he says this statement to them, come and see, it's referring to a, well, a revealing of his glory. And we see that throughout these next few chapters together. And at some point, like in chapter 5, we find where the enemy kind of stands up and says, well, enough of this. And all of a sudden we find conflict that comes on the scene. 
I tell you this morning as we start this and we journey through this book together over the next number of weeks, it's this, that you can't be light and darkness without the darkness at some point resisting the light in your life. It's going to happen. You say, well, Mark, you don't understand. It happened this morning on the way to church. Yeah, it's going to happen in your life because it's the grace of God that provokes the reaction from the enemy because the enemy absolutely hates that of God's unmerited love and favor toward you and I. It will happen in our lives. It will happen every day. Just things like, well, just start loving your neighbor as yourself. And you want to see some tough times in your life, start doing this. Because you're going to think, if I love my neighbor as myself, that somehow I'm going to win the Nobel Peace Prize for doing that. No, no, because they're not going to always love you back in the way that you would love them. It's not going to happen. There's going to be resistance in your life. There's going to be resistance. It's going to happen. And so what we're experiencing now in the Gospel of John is this revealing of Christ's glory and His grace. And in turn, it's a full disclosure of the heart of the Father toward His creation. And so over the next few chapters, the intensity will begin to rise and increase of this revealing of God's scandalous grace within our lives. So there's a couple of big thoughts and big ideas that we're going to find throughout our teaching this morning. The first is this. That grace not only covers the very worst of our lives, but it also covers those times when we have tried our best and our best is just not good enough. And I think that's a very provoking thought for us this morning. The second is a question that have we overlooked the greater reality of who Jesus is for an instant reality of of Christ? The third is this, family matters. And I'm not talking about the sitcom in Urkel, you know, that kind of thing. That's not who this refers to, but family matters, but not with this narrative. It doesn't. And we'll talk about that in a moment. And the fourth is this, the best is yet to come and the best is here. And I know we hear that term, the best is yet to come in all different venues and all kinds of places in our, fir- our current culture. Where did that come from? I thought, well, I was very curious as to where the best is yet to come, the statement came from. So I ask you a question. How many of you, how many of you were um, not alive, you were not in this world, not born yet, in 1964. How many were not born yet in 1964? Raise your hand. Look around the room. Okay. Well, good. Look, put your hands down. Thank you for making me feel older this morning. I appreciate that. Yes, I was six years old. Okay. I was six years old. And so here's where you heard this this statement, the best is yet to come. It's Frank Sinatra. Isn't that interesting? Isn't it? 1964, he sings this song written from 1959, and there is in the phrase that the best is yet to come. Michael Buble sings it also. I thought I would kind of break out in a Buble kind of song for you this morning, but I will spare you, okay? Okay? I will spare you that. It it's just would be too much for you to handle. Absolutely. Yes. The best is yet to come. The best is here what it is. So here's the narrative. It's a great story this morning. I love it. It's John chapter 2, verse 1. And on the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. And when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. So the first of a couple of thoughts is this, this morning. Jesus accommodates us, and we talked about that a lot. Jesus accommodates us with the gift of grace. There's a need present at this celebration, a physical need that's present, but yet it seems to be impossible to meet the need at the celebration. Yes, something or someone has failed and they've ran out of wine. 
what this is, is this. It's the perfect picture of the imperfect human condition. It's, it's a metaphor of the brokenness of our lives, the failure of our lives. It's who we are. It's who we are. So we have to get to the bottom of this and who has failed here. So whose responsibility is it to bring the wine to the ceremony? Is it the bride or the groom? Well, can I tell you whose responsibility is? It's the grooms, right? It is the grooms. So it's a man thing is what it is. And he probably thought, ah, oh, ah, that'll be enough. You know, when he brings whatever he brings, that'll be enough. And if we run out, then we can go to Walmart because Walmart has wine in a box that you can get at Walmart, right? Yes. And, and so we'll go to Walmart. And But wait a minute, we don't have a Walmart, so we are really in trouble. And when you see the reaction of Mary to her son Jesus, you know, this is a serious issue. Because no wine, no party, no celebration. It's over and everybody goes home disappointed. Here's the beauty of what Christ does at this ceremony in Cana, this wedding reception. It's a revealing of the heart of a gracious God. And you say, but Mark, wait a minute. There's no sin here that the groom is supposed to bring the wine, but evidently for some reason he didn't bring enough. So where is the sin where you connect grace to it? Because we don't find that here. Because if forgetting something on the shopping list is a sin, then I sin every time I go to Publix. I do, yes. Because I forget something every time I go. I do. Grace not only covers, and I think this is important that we see the dimension of grace that's opened up for you and I in this teaching. That grace not only covers the very worst of our lives, but it's also when we have given it our best shot. And the best of our lives is simply not good enough and it doesn't work out. I think sometimes when we talk about grace, we just focus on the shambles or the, or the dastardly deeds of our darkness within our life. But what about when you give it the best shot of your life? What about when you really try? What about when you simply pray about something and it doesn't happen? Because when I look at this, I have to think about the groom. The groom doesn't set out to sabotage his own wedding ceremony. It, it's, that's not what we're reading here at all. Maybe his, his resources had exhausted. That's a nice way of saying he ran out of money. He broke. And so, you know, he doesn't have any more money to buy wine. Or, or it's an oversight in planning. But, but something has failed here. And, and when we have tried to make a situation work, even when we have prayed about those situations and still nothing works, this is a narrative that takes grace in our lives to a greater dimension because in those moments when we've tried with our very best intentions to fix something in our life, we prayed about it. And when those things don't happen, grace covers those moments in our lives. What it does is this. It frees us from guilt because we have guilt when we have tried. Why? Because we're carrying the load ourselves. It's what we're doing. Yes, we're trying to make that we interject God a little bit in there sometimes. We throw a prayer in there sometimes or a scripture, but yet we're carrying that and we have this guilt because we've tried our very best. But what the beauty of this text is this, that it covers those times when we try our best and we still fail, and it covers those times in our life when we just don't try at all, but grace covers. What do you mean grace covers those things? It's the book of 2 Corinthians. Paul writes this amazing text to us in 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 8. And here's what he says. He said, and God is able to make all grace abound to you. All grace. But what if? There's no ifs here. All grace abounds to us so that having all sufficiency. What does that mean? That it is adequate in our lives. For what is it adequate for? 
in all things, in all times, that you may abound in every good work. So grace covers everything within our lives. Even those moments, even those moments when we try our very best and it still fails. There's no limit to God's grace. Understand that it covers every area of our life. And I, and I begin to think from the areas of our wickedness to the moments of doubt. It covers those areas, those times when I've tried my best and it didn't work. And so I'm, I'm having guilt over that to those times when I just don't give a darn. You know what I mean, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. Have you ever had those times in life I, where let's just level the ground? OK, have you ever had those times in life where you just tried your best? You even prayed about it and it didn't work out. Let me see your hand if you've ever had that moment. OK, put your hand down. Have you ever had those moments when you just don't give a darn? Raise your hand. Yes. Yes. OK, good. So, we're, oh, I'm you're like me. That makes me feel a lot better this morning. It really does. So grace covers those moments within our lives, in our marriage, in life, in death, in our profession, whether we've tried or whether we just don't care. What he's saying to us is it's all covered. It's all covered. It's all encompassing. We read a text. Uh, in fact, week before last in John 1 and 16 in the prologue of what we're going to be getting into about the revealing of Christ. And it says this in John 1 and 16, for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. You know what that means? That means it's inexhaustible. It's inexhaustible. Hey, everything in this life is exhaustible. Did you know that? Everything in this life is exhaustible. Life itself is that at some point or another that you and I will check out. I mean, it's going to happen, right? It, it, I mean, we just deal with that. That's the reality of it. And, and so, uh, you know, two things are, are for sure in life. One is death and the other is that we get sick of politics, right? Exactly. So those are two things, especially right now. And, and, and so those are things that we know are going to happen. And so everything in this life is exhaustible except the grace and the love of God for our lives because it's all sufficient and it never ends. It covers everything in my life. Even, you know, even in that moment when I have tried my best and it didn't work out, it covers those moments of my life. Some of you, man, you're trying to fix people in your life. Oh, listen, work on fixing yourself. And in fact, work on just giving yourself to God and let God fix you. That's really how it works, okay? But you try to fix people in your life. You try to fix your family, and your family is so jacked up, you're not going to fix them for all eternity. Isn't that right? Only Jesus can do that. Yes, and we're going to talk about family in a moment. And, and so you, you try to fix your job. You, you try to fix your boss. You, you try to fix your church. You try to fix all the... You're trying to fix your pastor. Stop it, okay? You can't fix me. Reba's been trying for 40 years, okay? And she's still working at it. But understand this. No, stop. And, and, we, and when we fail in those areas, man, we have this guilt that comes upon us. And I want to tell you, grace covers all of those areas of our life today. Man, you have to surrender that to God. You have to just give that over to him. Go, go to verse four. Our narrative continues. And here's what it says. And Jesus said to her, woman, 
He calls her woman. You think, wait a minute, hold on. You can't do that, you know. That's rude and that's misogynistic and you can't do that. Can I tell you, when he calls her woman, I have to clarify this for you for a moment because I don't want you to get the wrong idea here. He's not respectful to his mother or to women in general. That's not what it is all. If you look at it culturally, it's a formal response. It's like saying ma'am. It is a stern statement but a respectful statement. Understand that. So he says to his mother, woman, What does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. And his mother said to his servants, and listen, I I stop there for another point in this. If he had been disrespectful to his mother, then her response would have been this. Young man, just wait till your father gets home. That's exactly what she would have said to him, right? Yes. But that's not what she says. She says, do whatever he tells you to the servants. So here's a second thought is this. The greater reality of who Jesus is And I have to look at this statement when he made woman, what does this have to do with me? Because he's what he's not doing, he's not being disrespectful. In fact, God's own words say, honor your father and your mother and your days on there shall be long. That's a great one to really use with your kids. It really is. Yeah, you can guilt them into good behavior or frighten them into good behavior, I guess. What? Don't do that. That's not what that means, okay? But he's not being disrespectful to his mom. So what he's doing is this. He's establishing an allegiance to his heavenly father is exactly what he's doing. He's making it known that, hey, this is my mother, absolutely, without any doubt. But my first and foremost responsibility is to simply answer to my father. It's beautiful about obedience. In the middle of this, he teaches us a lesson on obedience. Because that of the the father and son and their relationship, it's wrapped in obedience, That of my relationship and your relationship with the Father through His Son, Jesus, it's wrapped in obedience. The difference between our relationship with the Father through His Son, Jesus, and that of the Father and the Son is this. It's simply one. what is alike in those relationships is obedience, but what's different is that you and I, our relationship is wrapped in grace. It's wrapped in grace with Him because their relationship is perfect. Ours is absolutely imperfect. And there are times when we don't obey. There are times when we simply are hard-headed. We want to do things our own way. And I know that all the hard-headed people are the ones that come to second service. Isn't that right? So this is all the obedient group here this morning because you got up earlier, so you love Jesus more. And that's not true. That's not true. But yet, yet it, we, we think sometimes that way. But we, we are fallible, and we mess up, and we're extremely imperfect. yes. And so what Jesus is doing is saying, hey, this is about obedience. But what the beautiful thing about your obedience and your relationship with me is it's covered in my grace that never runs out. Even when the wine runs out, the grace never runs out. It doesn't. So here's what Jesus is doing. He's establishing his family connection. It's the greater reality of who he is. Because what he's saying here to his mom is this very respectfully, But he's saying here that, hey, that the family tree here really doesn't matter. It doesn't define who I am. And what does that mean for you and I? It's a greater reality for you and I this morning. Because as it doesn't define him, as our family tree, his earthly family doesn't define him, neither does ours. And and that's a beautiful thought for just a moment for us to kind of set in there. That that we... 
because of Christ in our life, and because of that of being adopted as sons and daughters, we're now part of this greater family. We're part of this greater family with God. So now we have this perfect Father who is loving and gracious and kind and forgiving, contrary many times to our earthly fathers. And so what it does, it brings a new dynamic into our life that you and I have a new family. And so our family tree in this world does not define us. And some of you, along with the guy on the stage, has some really messed up families. Isn't that right? Yes. Yes. Well, I heard a lot of amens from that one. Exactly. Yes. Going to be a rough ride on the way home because your spouse is going to wonder, are you talking about me? You know, and your kids are wondering, is that me? Well, maybe it is. Here's how Jesus defines this. It's in the synoptic gospel of the book of Mark chapter 3 and verse 32. Here's what Jesus says. He says, as a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And we know the background of this is that they've simply come to get him, gather him and bring him home. Because what he's doing is absolutely crazy. They're wondering, has he lost his mind? And he answered them, the crowd sitting around him, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sit around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Yes, we might as well have been sitting there that day with Christ. That you are now my mothers and brothers. You're my family. It's a connection that far exceeds blood. It's a connection that far exceeds DNA in all of our lives. So what does that mean for us? No matter how messed up and jacked up our worldly family is, no matter what they've done to us, no matter what we have done to them, no matter whether your father is a preacher or a pervert or he's both, I don't know, that no longer defines who you are. Understand this, that your family tree no longer matters in the shadow of grace. Why? Because you are an adopted son and daughter of God. It doesn't matter. Your relationship with Jesus and being loved by him and being blessed by the grace of God in your life is not about your family tree. Understand that it's about Christ in your life. And what that does, that levels the ground, that levels around. You are not defined by those individuals in your life. Yes, they have influence in your life. And some of you are working through that. You're praying about it. You're seeking God. You're, you're seeking counsel for your life. Yes, because some of the issues in your life are influential. And I don't doubt that. And I value that absolutely today. But can I tell you today, they no longer define you regardless of what they did to you Christ defines you today just said hey you're my mom but that doesn't define who I am that's why he says woman what does this have to do with me and then he says he goes on to say my hour has not yet come he's referencing his death because you can put all these miracles together that we're going to find throughout the book of John and I want to tell you that none of them have any value apart from the cross that Jesus points to his earthly and spiritual family and he says let me define to you the moment in history I'm not saying a moment in history but he defines the moment in history when the very best wine of of all of heaven and earth is poured out and spilled out for those moments in my life and your life when we just don't get it right. He's referring to his death on the cross. He's bridging the gap between God, the eternal gap between God and man is what he's talking about. But I think there's times in our lives when we read these miracles about Jesus that we want to trade this, we want to trade an instant reality for a greater reality of who Christ is. Because, yeah, they're out of wine. And Mary says, hey, you got to do something about this, all this dilemma. But Mary recognizes Jesus' ability to do something about the situation. 
Because it's not that Jesus doesn't want to do anything. That's not it at all. But there's a greater reality to be revealed. And it's this. Miracles are not about us. Realize that. Miracles are not about us. If they were about you and I, then we would earn them. They point us back to the one greater than the miracle itself. They're about Christ. They're pointing us back to the source. Jesus responds in a few moments to her request. He does. And he turns water into wine. But how do you see him? How do you see him? At, at, that's the point, I think, of how, how do we see him? Because Mary gets it right. He, she gets it right because she says to Jesus, hey, they run out of wine. But paraphrasing and reading with some, I think, imagination, not reading into what is there. But she would simply have said to him, uh, I know you can do this. I know you have the ability to do this. But whatever you do and however you react, I know who you are. So your action will always be perfect. Whether you make wine or whether you don't make wine for this party, your reaction is going to be perfect. And I'm still going to trust you. How do you know she feels that way? Because she says to the servants, do whatever he asks. Do whatever he asks. Our faith and our trust in him, uh, it's not based on God's performance of what he does for us and what he doesn't do for us. And I think this is a challenging conversation that you and I need to have for just a moment together. It is. But yet our relationship and our faith and trust is, is firmly rooted and founded in who he is. It's an understanding of who he is and that whatever move that God makes, it's always perfect. It's always perfect. So we have to look at this question. How do we trust him? Do we trust him in light of the things that he does for us? Or do we trust him because of who he is for us? Yes. Because what about those times when he doesn't perform according to our script for our own lives? And man, there are times that I have asked God to do something in my life and I prayed about it and it didn't happen. It didn't happen. Now, if you're the guy that's here or the, or, the, or the person that's here, that every time that you've ever prayed, then you have got exactly what you have prayed for, then that is absolutely amazing. And I'm so glad you're here. Please don't leave after service because I'm going to run out and we're going to buy some lottery tickets and you're going to pray over those things, right? Yes, absolutely. Because God doesn't always perform according to my script in life. He doesn't. And I'm glad because <laughs> my script is jacked up sometimes. It's messed up. It really is. It's self-centered and selfish. It's self-seeking at times. I don't know what tomorrow brings in my life. So I'm making all of this kind of on a three and a half inch understanding of life, right? What's in front of me. And I, so how do I trust God? How do I trust God in the times when he doesn't make wine, but he just gives me comfort in the middle of my lack. Oh, does, does that make God insensitive and uncaring? Does that what it is? is? I wrote this, is God good or is God, is God good only when God is good in our lives? Yes. And I have to think about who he is. And it's an understanding of who he is. That do we think that the shortage at the, at the, of wine at the marriage in Canada, they, do we think that was a surprise to Jesus? Do we think that he just, remember, he's fully God and fully man. 
Does he just show up and all of a sudden Mary says, hey, they ran out of wine? Yes. And, and he's standing there thinking, geez, if I'd have known that before I'd have come, I'd have stopped by Walmart and picked up some and brought some, right? Yes. If I'd have had you. No, he's God. So what does that say to us? The miracle is not the point. Jesus is the point here. Jesus is the point. It's exactly what it says. So how does this turn out? Oh, it's good. Look at verse 6. It says this, Now there was six stone jars, therefore the Jewish rite of purification. Listen, these jars are not for drinking. Okay, they're for washing. It's that Jewish connection where that they feel that they're physically clean, they're spiritually clean, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. And, and I thought about this, because why? The jars are empty. So They've already bathed, you know, they've, they've already gone through the process. The party is underway. Oh, Jesus is probably late, you know. No, that's not the case because he's never late. He's always on time. Lazarus' sister, what? She said, Jesus, if you'd have been here earlier, my brother would not have died. Oh, but Jesus was not late. We know the end of that story. So here's what happens. And they fill them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it, and when the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Someone serves the good wine, or says to him, Some, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. Oh, here, here's the bridegroom, and, and they've gone to this ceremony, and this is kind of, I'm kind of westernizing this a little bit, and they have in the reception, you know, and, and, and they've, they've, they've had all the, the celebration and the dancing and all that stuff going on, and, and then the, the master of the feast comes to him and said, dude, that, you know, you messed up. You served the good wine first, and you should have saved that for when everybody else is a little lit, and they wouldn't know what it was good or bad, right? Yes, and, and so, you know, and, and you would have served the poor wine later on, and, and so you messed up, and all of a sudden, do you feel the guilt? Man, it's, it's like that. Dude, I, I tried. I didn't, I didn't want to sabotage my own wedding. So, you know, I failed. My last thought for you this morning is this. And I think it's perhaps the greatest of all is that Jesus brings the best to our lives. He brings the best to our lives. The jars, these jars that are there, these six stone jars, they're not for drinking, they're for bathing. I love this. Jesus makes wine in a bathtub. Isn't that great? Yes, that's that's really good. It's kind of what this comes down to. Yes. And, and Jesus gives the instruction to the servants to obey. I think what we have to realize, because I've heard this taught sometimes this way, and if you read it actually in context, it's not, this is not it at all, that the water's not turned into wine because of the servant's obedience. That's not what causes this miracle to happen at all. That, that's not it at all, because if you read it and sit in it for a while, maybe later on today or in our dive-in thing on, online, then what you're going to realize is this, that when the servants come to dip from those those jars, they're dipping water. They're not even dipping wine. It says that. This is a revealing of something greater than the miracle. And what it's a, a revealing of is that the divine vessel, the divine vessel of purification, the best flows from the divine vessel of purification, that only Jesus, who is that divine 
vessel of purification. See, it's not about the miracle. It's about Christ. It's about what he is revealing here. Only that divine vessel of purification can take, uh, I use this word a lot, it, it, it can only take stinkers like you and I, yeah? and, and we know that who we are, and not only cover our sin, but it cleanses us of our sin, that, so that the Father, when he sees us, he sees us through the perfection of his Son, Jesus. Yes. The Master's Feast comes to the groom. He's responsible for the wine. Why did you save the best for last, he asked him. The truth of the matter is, the groom did not save the best for last. Because the groom served his very best at the beginning of the ceremony, just as if he was supposed to. Because no matter how good we are, and no matter how tasty his wine had been, none of those things, no matter how valiant our human efforts are in this life, Jesus is always better. He is always better. We fall short. Oh, we do. We give it our best try at times. We mess up. We're wrong. Jesus is the bridegroom that never fails. He never lacks. He's always more than enough. And sometimes in, their, in our life, in those moments uh, of hard times and struggles in our life, that sometimes he makes wine and sometimes he just comforts us and gives us patience in the lack of our life because there's a greater lesson to learn. There's a greater thing to be revealed in our life and it's all covered by his grace. It's all covered by his grace. That he shows up in the he shows up in the fray of our lives, not with some substandard conditional love, not at all, not with some reprimand like you should have known better and you should have been more prepared for, for the ceremony. Not none of those words are spoken at all from Christ at all. I think sometimes that we focus on the shadow of all of this, and that is the miracle, and we miss the substance of all of this, and that is that Jesus is here, that he is here, and Jesus is always better. He always arrives in our life with the very best for our lives. He always shows up in the fray and all the confusion and all the fear and the doubt of our lives, and he always shows up with the very best for you and I. Look at verse 11, and I finish with this. He says this, the first of his signs, John says, Jesus did at Canaan in Galilee and manifested his glory. Here's the point, that he manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. That all things with God have purpose. Realize that, that all things with God in our life has purpose. Yes, that we think this idea of, you know, turning water into wine was maybe hatched on the at that moment, just because there was a need at some nameless wedding reception? No, this was the work of a sovereign God through his son to reveal to you and I that God loves us, that he's attentive to every detail of our lives, everything about our lives, and his grace covers us when we get it wrong because we tried real hard, and sometimes when we just get it wrong because we don't give a darn about life. It covers us. In those moments. That Jesus is better. That he is better. 
So when I was praying through that this week, I began to think, what does that mean to me? And, and what does that mean to us? And, and, and I said this, it doesn't matter what has been in life that Jesus is better for you. Understand that. And it doesn't matter what's happened with the wine. Whoever failed there, Jesus is always better. And it doesn't matter what your family tree may look like, that Jesus is always better. It doesn't matter what you have done and who you've done it with and how many times you've done it within your life, that Jesus is always better. Why? Because Jesus has been on the guest list of our life since Genesis chapter 3. He was always there as the rescuer of our life from the very beginning, from the very moment that we messed up as humanity. God accommodates us with his son, the ultimate bridegroom, who always shows up with what is better in our life. He always shows up with what is better. That regardless of how excellent our wine is that we serve at the very beginning, it doesn't really matter. No, because he's always better. He's always better. Yes, it's not the 120 gallons of wine. If you do the math and if, you know, and if taking the least amount that was mentioned there, if, if you, it's not the 120 gallons of the very best wine ever fermented in seconds that he chose. And when I say fermented wine, I know that that makes all the Baptists in the room get very nervous, doesn't it? Yes, because you've always said, taught it was Welch's, right? Yes, no. It's, it's the good stuff. All the Episcopalians are saying, yes, this is right. I love this. This is really great. Yes, no. That it's not the point of all of that. That's not the point. Because we focus on the shadow, we miss the substance. The point is this. He is here. He is here for your life. He is here for my life. Not in some futuristic, some, some kind of pipe dream uh, type thing for us. He's here now. He's here today. At this very moment for you. And he always shows up in our life with the very best. In the middle of the day, in the middle of the worst day of our lives, in the middle of the, the moments of discouragement and doubt, in those moments in our life where man, we're wondering you know, where God is and does God really care, can I tell you something? He is there. And the reality is because he's always been on the guest list. He's always been on the guest list. And he covers those moments in your life when you have absolutely tried your best and you failed and you sit here this morning and you are wrestling with this guilt of why couldn't I fix this and why couldn't this work out for me? Some of you are that way with a failed marriage. Some of you are that way with a failed relative in a relationship. Some of you are there with a job that you had and, and maybe it was your dream job and, and it didn't work out and you thought, I, I did everything that I could to make this work out. Some of you are there in, in all kinds of situations of your life and you're carrying that guilt. Can I tell you, Jesus has shown up today and he always brings the best for your life. The very best for your life. So how do you see him? Do you see him in light of just what he can do in your life? Do you see him in, in, in light of what, you know, that he can take some water for you and make wine? Or do you see him for who he is? That first of all, he is 
the divine vessel of purification for all of us, that not only, not only does he cover the sins of our lives, but he washes sin away from our lives. That he is perfect in all of his ways. And that is whether he makes wine or whether he gives us comfort and patience to deal with the lack of our lives, that he still shows up with the very best for you and I. We judge God sometimes by that, I think, that, that we have pleaded with him to change the situation, and it doesn't change. It just, just doesn't change. No, you know, you're still married to the person next to you, right? Yes, yeah, and you're working through the problems of your life and the struggles of relationship. Absolutely, this is not change. You're still going to go to the same job tomorrow morning. You're still going to wrestle with the same issues of your life at times. And you say, well, if God truly was God, then he would turn my water into wine right now. And I'm not saying he doesn't do that at times, but what I'm telling you is this, that he will do that in your life with purpose. And sometimes for you and I, it's not water into wine, but it's simply patience and comfort in the middle of a struggle of our lives because there is a bigger thing to be revealed. There's a bigger thing to be revealed. And I know that will not sell books a lot anyway, right? Yes. And, in, and, and I know that that, that that doesn't make a great blog. I, I realize that. So if you don't if you don't want to read that again, then don't go to the dive-in thing, okay? Just don't, all right? Just save yourself a little time. I love you, but don't, because that's, that's what I talk about a little bit in there. And we know he brings the best in our lives because we have an understanding of who he is. That's our journey through the Gospel of John. That's, that's what this is about. That's what it's about. So that my joy Monday morning does not evaporate just because things have not worked out the way that I wanted them to work. But I know that God does all things with a purpose in my life, and I trust him. Would you bow your heads for a moment with me? Father, open our hearts and minds to who you are and a greater reality of who you are. Lord, that we don't see you as just some celestial purveyor of miracles in our lives and that we judge you on whether you have performed or whether you haven't according to our own script. But God, let us look beyond that. Let us understand the heart of the Father through you, Jesus, this morning that truly that you have given us grace that covers all areas of our lives in every situation and every circumstance. That you have given us great joy within our lives that surpasses happiness or a feeling because it's not based upon a circumstance or some outward stimulation, but God, it's based upon who you are. And you're revealing yourself to us through your grace and your mercy and your love, that it covers all areas of our lives. So Jesus, we believe in miracles and we stand here today saying that we believe in miracles. But we also believe that miracles come in all different forms. And it's not always water into wine. But God, we know that even 
for us standing here, that taking a breath is a miracle because you're the provider of the oxygen that we breathe. So God, we trust you with everything in our life and every major decision of our life, uh, every frustration. And God, how we navigate through those times of our lives truly depends on how we see you. So Father, open our hearts and open our minds that we will see you for who you are today. That we will find great comfort and rest in you even when circumstances are not immediately changing in our lives. And we will have the trust in you that when you say to us, I'm going to give you comfort and I'm going to give you patience in the middle of this situation, that we trust you. That whatever you do is always perfect for our lives. Because you always show up with the best for us. And we embrace that today, Lord. In your name we pray.